the gift of a cat, snow, everywhere the whiteness of starlight. A cat appeared outside my open window, dropped off a parcel upon our heap of coal. Stung by this, I told mother, she picked it up, a piece of frozen pork. Mother cooked it with green chili peppers and dried wild mushrooms. That evening by the fire, father told the story of the poet Nebai, who declined the emperor's invitation until the insolent prime minister came to fetch slippers for him. I could not stop thinking of the cat, black with green eyes. Snow-filled night with dung. I dreamed of gliding through the emptiness between the stars. Their white shadows melted on my skin. The stars called to me with the cat's voice. From the studios of KPFK Los Angeles Pacifica Radio, welcome to Poets Cafe. Our guest, Yun Wang, is a poet and cosmologist. She's a senior research scientist at California Institute of Technology, where her work focuses on exploring the nature of dark energy. She's the author of two poetry books, The Book of Totality and The Book of Jade, winner of the Nicholas Rorick Poetry Prize. Yun is the translator of Dreaming of Fallen Blossoms, tune poems of Su Dong Po, which is forthcoming from White Pine Press. Welcome, Yun. Thank you, Lois. So happy to have you. Neruda said poetry called to him from the branches of night without a face and touched him. Your poem speaks to science in the gift of a cat. It says, the child in gift of a cat is called by the stars in a cat's voice. Did the stars call to you first, or did poetry, and do they have a similar sense of purpose? I think I was perhaps around 10 or 11 at the time, so I think I did not even know that cosmology was a science, right? Yeah. But I did look up that dark sky with stars, and I grew up reading classical Chinese poetry, and I saw this cat, right? So for me, it was all <laughs> blended into... A higher calling from the future. So you were drawn to the stars as a child. Yes. And so classical poetry was an important part of your upbringing. Yes. I grew up with it. I think when I was a baby, I was told that when I cried, my father would uh, carry me into some deserted hallway and chant uh, ancient Chinese poems to me, and I would <laughs> stop crying. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I love that. That was before I could uh, speak. You know, That's would, early. Yes. That's amazing. So, so you recently translated the work of Song, a dynasty poet. How do you say it? Su Dongpo? Su Dongpo. Yes. What draws you to his work? Well, I grew up being able to recite many of his poems, and also I find a profound resonance with his poetry. Actually, the older I get, the stronger the resonance becomes. Interesting. Yeah, so I started translating his tune poems 25, 26 years ago, 
So it has been a work of labor. Mm-hmm. With this book I'm, coming out. Yes. Yeah. I'm so pleased that now I get to share this with the rest of the world. Can you read one of the poems from that translation? It's a tune of Journey Through Incense. Yes. And you're going to read it in both the English and the original language, right? Yes. Okay. I will read the Chinese first. Great. Xin Xiang Zi Qin Ye Wu Chen Yue Se Lu Yin Jiu Zhen Shi Xu Man Shi Fen Fu Min Fu Ni Xu Ku Lao Shen Tan Xi Zhong Ju Shi Zhong Huo Mong Zhong Shen Sui Bao Wen Zhang Kai Kou Shi Qin Che Tao Tao to the tune of Journey Through Incense A crystal night untouched by dust Fills with silver moonlight let wine overflow goblets, fame and wealth drift, waste the spirit in blind labor. Life passes as a sunbeam galloping over a crack in the wall, flames nipping from a firestone. My body is locked in a dream. My chest swells with erudition. My mouth opens with no one to impress. Let me delight in true simplicity. Someday I shall return home to indulge in leisure, pluck strings of guqin beside a flask of wine, a stream haunted by clouds. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Poets Cafe. We're in the studio with our guest cosmologist and poet, Yun Wang. This is a beautiful poem. And so they're tune poems. Are they actually written to music? Yes. In Chinese, they are called ci, in contrast to shi, which is the traditional Chinese poems that have very symmetrical meters. Mm-hmm. But each tune poem is written to a fixed melody. Mm-hmm. They were sung, actually, with music. So one, the greatest accomplishment of Su Dongpo was that he took this art form, you know, singing of the songs with these tunes, which were passed down over many generations, and he converted into high art. Mm-hmm. You know, he... So before his time, the tune poems did not measure up to the artistry of traditional poems, Mm -hmm. but he changed that by holding the tune poems to the same standards as the traditional forms. Okay. Yeah, so after his time, you know, the tune poems also became (laughs) a high form of artistic expression. That's fantastic. Is the music still known today that accompany the words? I think most of that is lost. Okay. 
I'm not certain if any of that remains. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know and to mm-hmm. hear if it's around and what did they use. He mentions the plucked strings of the... Guqin is the seven-stringed instrument, probably the most ancient Chinese musical instrument. That's usually used in Chinese classical music ensembles, also it's a popular solo instrument. But here, the name of the tune, Xin Xiangzi, Journey Through Incense, that's mm-hmm. the name of the tune. Then a different poet may write a, a poem following the same pattern of rhymes and meter. So the lines are uneven, you mm-hmm. know, because the words sung to a tune. Right. Yeah, so sometimes there are also called long and short sentences in kind of slang Chinese Mm, mm, okay. And so why did you decide to translate his work? You know, in addition to your affinity for him, did you feel that there were good translations, that there weren't good translations, or what drew you to that? Well, I did see some translations of some of his poems, mm-hmm. and uh, I have to admit that I was disappointed that okay. I didn't feel that those translations conveyed the music, mm-hmm. you know, and the vision and the power of the originals. And so I challenged myself to try to do better because right. this poetry is in my blood. Right? Yeah. So I know it much better than the people who translated before. Mm. And so I felt that was my responsibility to try to bring the original into life in a more faithful way, convey both the poetry and the music to English readers. Yes, and the lyricism is so rich in this translation. It's beautiful. He was a political dissident in his time and was exiled a couple of times, too. Your father also was a political dissident, and poetry obviously was very meaningful to him as a part of his blood, I think. You have an amazing poem that you wrote that brings your father a little more into light. I wonder if you could read that one. Yes. So I wrote this poem almost 30 years ago, my father, by the way, passed away in 2011. Oh, okay. So I dedicate this reading of this poem in his memory. The Carp. My father was the school principal. The day I was born, he caught a 20-pound carp. He gave it to the school kitchen. All the teachers and boarding students tasted around us. There were waves of mountains. I grew up yearning for the ocean. Smoke arose from the evergreen mountains to form clouds each morning. My father named me Cloud. When a son was born to Confucius, the king of Lu sent over a carp as present. Confucius named his son Carp. 
The wise say a carp nipping over the dragon gate is a very lucky sign. My father says he named me Cloud because I was born in the year of the dragon, and there are always clouds following a dragon. Confucius's son died an early death. My father has only three daughters. When I was three, I wandered all over the campus, a stray cat in a haunted town. My mother says I passed the room where my father was imprisoned. He whispered to me, hid a message in my little pocket. It was his will that I should grow up a strong woman and find justice for him. They caught me. My father was nearly beaten to death. Some of them were students, whose parents were peasants. Some of them were teachers, who used to be his best friends. They had tasted the carp. It has been recorded that Confucius could not tell the difference between millet and wheat. And was thus mocked by a peasant. This peasant became a big hero, representing the wisdom of the people. Thousands of years after Confucius's death, my father still goes fishing. The only thing that seems to calm him, the mountains are still sleeping waves. My father catches very small fish. My mother eats them. My friends laugh at me when I tell them that once upon a time, my father caught a carp weighing twenty pounds. If you're just tuning in, this is host Lois P. Jones, and we're with our guest, cosmologist and poet Yun Wang, and she's reading from her first chapbook called *The Carp*. Tell me, do you have memories of being in China? When you were a little girl, when did you leave? What age were you? I just turned twenty-one when、oh, I left China. Okay, so you were a grown woman by then.、Mm-hmm. So you were raised during the Cultural Revolution. Yes, I grew up through the Cultural Revolution. I heard that people would write poems secretly, covertly, on tiny little things、uh, to be found, you know, like on an egg or on a stone or something like that, because nobody could express themselves. Of course,、um, you know, the intellectuals were banned, the teachers were banned. A powerful story about your father speaks to that. Is that true, or have you heard that? Or not exactly, but、okay. I do remember people passing poems they've copied、uh-huh. elsewhere amongst themselves,、okay. among friends, confidentially. Right. And、um, some of the poems had、uh, political interpretations, so was all very hush hush. If you shared with someone you didn't trust, they can turn you in. You can get arrested and get locked up, or even worse. Right. Just like Nazi Germany. I mean, the spies were out there, and the insanity, the hunger to turn against your neighbor, your friend, the people whom your father shared carp with, and the irony of that, because 
the symbolism of the poem has to do with sharing, right? Which mm. has to do with the principles of communism in its way. Yes, Cultural Revolution was definitely a collective nightmare on a huge scale. Yeah, I think that's when the worst of human nature was brought out and encouraged, right, and caused widespread destruction on both physical and mental levels. Yeah, it was pretty horrific. You've been back to China since then. Sure. Okay. Yes, actually a lot changed. I think when I was in college at Tsinghua University, mm-hmm. I think it was kind of like a cultural golden age. Okay. Because I was writing a lot of poetry. <laughs> uh, at the one point, I think in my second year in college, I was writing a poem every day. And oh. I was meeting all my friends through poetry. And um, I had uh, students from other universities come to Tsinghua looking for me because they've seen my poems hand-copied from wow. friends of friends and friends. Oh, you know? wow. <laughs> yeah. So I was so thrilled. So back then... Everyone I knew either wrote poetry or read poetry or both. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't know anyone who didn't read poetry. Mm-hmm. So what I want to say is that kind of, you know, in still in continuous culture shock <laughs> with both America and China today, you know, where poetry seemed to have a very tiny audience. You know, I can never get over why so few people show up at given poetry reading. In China? Well, in, I haven't gone to a poetry reading in China for many years. Okay. But I left China in 85. Mm-hmm. Right? So in America, right, I, I'm just shocked why poetry readings attract such tiny audiences. Because very often, you know, the poets really deserve much bigger audiences. Agreed. And I don't know why people don't read poetry anymore. Because our culture has never placed a great importance on the arts. Um, not as much as uh, some other places in China and Japan, even other Western countries in the UK. Their poet laureate, their poets take great honor. And I wouldn't say they have vast audiences, but they certainly have considerable audiences and are given a lot of respect. So I think that's part of it. You know, when you have a president like we do, uh, (laughs) sorry, but, you know, we're going much further away from having the arts appreciated uh, or even allowed to be expressed in, in some ways, I think. Just my thought on that. That's a pity. Well, thank you for helping to bring poetry to more people. Oh, well. I'm really convinced that if I just stop, say, 100 strangers in the street yeah. and talk to them about poetry and share great poetry with them, you know, more than 90 of them would love it. I think they would. I believe that. So most of these people have never been exposed to great poetry, right? Right. Maybe at school they were forced to read some poems. They didn't pay complete attention. And, you know, maybe they didn't happen to find resonance with those poems. The type of poetry. Right. That's the problem. That's part of the problem. That's changing, too. I want to get into dark matter now with you because it's such a, a wonderful contrast to have a poet cosmologist I think there may not be two more beautiful juxtapositions of views. There's a poem called Dark Matter, and I wonder if you'd read that, and then we could talk about it. Yes, it's from my recent collection, The Book of Totality. 
dark matter. He dyed his hair green several days before, unusual for a Russian or a physics graduate student. No one commented. Visible, stars, planets, people, tiny water ninnies in a dark pond, the pond invisible, made of dead stars, black holes, weakly interacting massive particles. Dark clouds drifted, then dispersed. The Florida sun came out, blasted its fury. Vines tangled on banyan trees, rang brilliant yellow bells. He climbed the stadium's back wall. His shirt pulled over his head. He hung by his hands. Deduce the presence of dark matter from movements of galaxies. The water spins some flowers, tears apart others. Passers-by gathered to watch, saw his legs tremble a little. They screamed, "Don't jump!" He shoved himself away from the wall into the air, hit a palm tree, then the concrete sidewalk, the crash set of car alarms. The universe may not expand forever. It may collapse someday, drawn back by its own dark mass. Beautiful metaphor of science and poetry, and such a deep, sad poem. Really. Yes. <laughs> what What is dark matter for the lay person? If you can sort of make it into a brief explanation. Well. The short answer is we don't know. So how do we know it's there? Well, because if there is no dark matter, the galaxies would not look the way they do. So basically, if we measure how fast the stars rotate in a spiral galaxy, such as the Milky Way,、mm-hmm. they are rotating much faster. Than we would expect. So, if it's no dark matter, they would be rotating more slowly. Or if we take the dark matter away, the stars will spiral <laughs> into the center of the galaxy and get eaten up by the massive black hole there. Okay, so they yeah, actually keep so, things in place. Exactly. Yeah. So they maintain the balance of the structure of galaxies. So the universe looks the way it does because there is a lot more matter. Than meets the eye,、mm-hmm. so about ninety percent of the matter in the universe is invisible. So we don't、That's、know. Phenomenal. I know. <laughs> so the only thing we know is、yeah. that it provides the additional gravity. So it's pulling everything towards the center of a galaxy. So you have to spin. You have to rotate really、right. fast to avoid falling in. And then you have the dark energy, which is pushing everything outward. Right. right. Okay. Okay. Right. Dark energy is a different matter. It、oh. has to do with the global、uh, expansion of the universe, and it's speeding up. We don't know why, so we call it dark energy. This is so exciting. I wish we could talk another half an hour about your knowledge of the universe. Post Cafe is winding down. Could you take us out with total solar eclipse? Total solar eclipse. The black bow of sky, 
fields with birds, going home to sleep. If you seek the sun, you will go blind. You look down, your feet feel the pulsing veins of earth. Light begins to spill from the bottom of sky. The horizon is dark. Venus blazes on the white shoulder of Jupiter. Thank you for joining us, Yun Wang. This is host Lois P. Jones, and our guest has been Yun Wang. Thanks to our chef Marlena Bond. Look for us on the Poets Cafe fan page on Facebook. You've been listening to Poets Cafe and Pacifica Radio for all of Southern California and beyond. <laughs>